Good morning, everyone. Haven't we had an exciting week? Who would like to be our next Prime Minister? Well, we've got one offer there. There's still time, Adam. Two o'clock tomorrow, you've got to put your name in. Is there a hundred of us here that would support Adam to be the Prime Minister? Go on, go for it. Well, you know that we need to be sincerely praying for our nation and our government and the political mess that we find ourselves in. But I believe that ultimately God is in control. He is sovereign and he will not let this nation fall apart because so many people have prayed down through the centuries for the blessing of God upon this land. And this land has blessed the world in so many ways. And so we need to keep praying for the favor and the grace of God to be upon our nation. Okay, um, there is a beautiful word in the English language that you may know about or you may not know about, and this is the word serendipity. Anybody ever heard of it? Some of you. Have. I, I think it would be a lovely girl's name. So, if any of you are expecting or hope to be expecting in the near future, such a pretty, beautiful name, serendipity. What a gorgeous, beautiful name. But do you know what it means? Give you the little definition here. Okay. It's all about making a happy and unexpected discovery by accident. A happy accident, a chance encounter that turns your life upside down for the better. That's what serendipity is all about. I expect most of us have had those moments in our lives. I, I can clearly remember a moment in my life when I met this young lady. She was working in the laboratory of a local hospital. I didn't meet her in the hospital, but I met her on holiday. And uh, that was Janice when she was 18, in case you're wondering who it is. That's when she was 19. And she's just as beautiful today as she was then. But for me, it was a happy moment in my life. I'd gone on holiday to a Christian holiday camp in Scarborough, and I set eyes on Janice, as you often do. And she sang a song on a Thursday night, I'll Be a Friend of His. She was singing about God, but I thought she was singing about me. <laughs> and that was my serendipitous moment. I fell head over heels in love with her, and my life was turned upside down for the better. That was 53 years ago, and I've never doubted or regretted that serendipitous moment ever since. Anyway, we'll move on from the family album. A couple of weeks ago, we had Donald Benedict preaching. What a fiery preacher he was, wasn't he? You couldn't have fallen asleep in his preaching or his wife. Amazing. But you may have missed something that Donald said near the beginning of his preach. Four things, he said, was God's fourfold plan for us. These were the four things, to know him to find freedom from sin, to discover your purpose in life, to make a difference through your life. They were the four things. And to me, that kind of transformation takes place in a serendipitous moment when we meet Jesus. 
Because when you meet Jesus, you can never go away the same. When you really encounter him, your life is transformed. You discover God's fourfold plan. You come to know him. You find freedom from sin through him. You discover your purpose in life and you can make a difference with your life because of the power of Jesus that lives within you. So I want you to go with me to the book of Acts, chapter 3. And I want to talk this morning about being serendipitous people. Being serendipitous people. And in Acts chapter 3, I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful. Janice has got a lovely sermon on this. She might bring it again sometime. He was put by the beautiful gate so he could beg from people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. And the lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and he began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Just hold that in your mind for a moment. I'm going to come back to it in just a second. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of a gentleman called Michael Harvey. He was the co-founder of something called Back to Church Sunday. And Michael has visited many churches around the world in order to help them with mission and evangelism. We had him to Southampton a number of years ago doing a seminar day. And some of the things he taught were really helpful. But what he does is he encourages churches to develop a culture of invitation. A culture of invitation. And his research has shown him that we are bad at inviting people to church. And when he runs his training seminars, he asks, what are the reasons, why is it that Christians do not invite people to church? And these are some of the typical answers that he gets as a response in his seminars. Okay, these are the answers. They will probably have something better to do, and if they say no, I'll feel rejected. Or they might say, why would I want to come to your church anyway? It's the last thing on earth that I would do. Or perhaps they would say, they think I'm a freak. Or I feel embarrassed if the sermon is inappropriate. I might lose their friendship. 
What if someone speaks in tongues? How will I explain that? And what if they ask me a question about God that I cannot answer? These are the responses he gets when he asks a group of people why you don't invite people to church. Did you notice that all the answers are to do with how I feel? Every excuse that is offered for not inviting someone to church is because of how it would make me feel, not how it would make them feel. And Michael Harvey tries to help people break out of this self-centered, it's all about me, to change the culture of the church to realize it's all about the lost. It's all about the people who don't know the good news of Jesus. It's all about them coming to encounter him and to have their lives changed through the power that comes in Jesus. Peter and John are on their way to a prayer meeting. And they come across this man who had been disabled from birth. He'd never walked. There was no benefit system. So the only way he could stay alive was to beg every single day outside of the temple. That was his only means of survival. And when Peter and John arrived, he was about to have a serendipitous moment. And I believe this is how God wants us to behave. He wants us to bring happy and unexpected discoveries into people's lives by introducing them to Jesus. We often sing with great sincerity, I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety because I know there is power in your presence. I speak the name of Jesus. But let me ask a question. Outside of this building, how often are we speaking the name of Jesus? This is a safe place. This is a comfortable place. It's great to throw your arms in the air. It's great to get excited about Jesus. It's great to speak out his name here where nobody is looking. But we've got to get over our feelings that so often inhibit us when we're outside of this place. So look with me, what did Peter and John do in this situation? Let's just have a little think about how they handled the situation. The first thing that you notice is they recognize their poverty. Because Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold. The guy was wanting money, but Peter said, I don't have anything to give you. It's interesting, in the book of Ecclesiastes 5, verses 10 and 11, the Bible says, those who love money will never have enough. If you've got an issue with money this morning, the Bible says you will never have enough. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We live in a world that worships the God of money that pursues it. People are wanting more all the time. But the Bible says those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth 
except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. Such wisdom from Solomon in Ecclesiastes 5. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. In other words, without him working in and through us, we are powerless to live out the gospel. And Peter and John recognized that material things were not the answer to this man's need. He had begged for money all of his life. But Peter recognized, you don't need money. You need a change in your circumstance. You need a change in your situation. Peter and John knew that they were naturally powerless to help this man, but they knew a power that could. Paul describes it in a beautiful way in 2 Corinthians 6. He says, we are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. What a lovely term. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches riches to others why because elsewhere in Ephesians the Bible says God who is rich in mercy has saved us through the Lord Jesus Christ now we are living in times when people are very anxious about material well-being maybe you're feeling anxious this morning because of what's going on in our nation and around the world we've got economic and political uncertainty Energy costs are soaring. Food prices are rising. The value of the pound is plummeting. And hope for the future is evaporating. Do you feel depressed? Because when you look at what's going on in our nation and in many nations of the world, things are not good at all. The CEO of the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, Paul Woolley, he, he said this this week. I don't know if you can read that. Yeah. We should pray for God's kingdom to come. That's what God wants to be done. It's not just in the last month. The last six years have been turbulent. We are arguably witnessing the slow collapse of the political, economic, social, and cultural model that has underpinned our common life for a generation. In the words of Pope Francis, we are not living in an era of change, but a change of era. And if that is correct, the importance of Christians engaging in redemptive action on their front lines is only going to grow. I think there's truth in what he happens to observe. Because people outside are, are going to be anxious, they're going to be fearful. But in that, there is going to be increasingly an opportunity to bring to people the good news that we know that comes through Jesus Christ. It is not material possessions that is going to change people's lives in the long term. It might for a little while, and that was what happened with this man at the gate. Every day he got enough money just to live another day, and then the next day he'd be taken and he'd sit there and get enough money. You can't live like that. The gospel doesn't just change our lives for a day, it changes our lives for eternity. And that's what we have the good news to share. And Paul spoke of a very parallel situation when he said in uh, Ephesians, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. That's where we're at today. 
Countless people in our nation are living in this world without God and without hope because this nation has turned its back on Jesus. Material things are not the answer to the world's problems. Peter knew it. And I believe that we have an opportunity coming to share Jesus like we've never known before. But also Peter, he saw an opportunity. He said, I'll give you what I have. In verse 12, after the man was healed, he saw the opportunity to speak to the crowd and Peter preaches the gospel yet again. You see, opportunities only last a moment. And if you don't take them when they arise, they're gone. Many years ago, in a very wealthy area of California, just before Christmas, uh, a troop of carol singers decided to go singing around the streets. They were largely made up of one family. And they went to the first house and they knocked and started to sing the carol. And a woman opened the door angrily. She said, I haven't got time for you people. My boiler is broken and I cannot get anybody to fix it. I've got a dozen people coming for dinner. Why don't you clear off and go somewhere else and come back another day because I'm just not in the mood for carol singers. Bing Crosby said, sorry to trouble you, ma'am, and went on his way. If she'd have known it was Bing Crosby singing carols outside of her house, she might have responded differently. How often do we miss opportunities because we don't recognize or see them when they come? Peter saw an opportunity which he decided not to miss. Do you know, I'm praying for opportunities to bring a serendipitous moment into people's lives through the love of Jesus. I hope you're praying for that as well because we need to. We need to say, God, will you position us? God, will you use us? God, will you open our eyes to see the opportunities that you have for us to bring your love into people's broken lives? I believe that Peter and John must have been prompted by the Holy Spirit on that day. Because there must have been countless other times when people walk past this man, the disciples, even Jesus himself. But for some reason, this was this man's moment. And this was the moment when Peter and John were prompted by the Holy Spirit to say, now is the opportunity to bring my healing power into this man's life. And Paul says elsewhere in Galatians, he says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Since we are living by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Peter and John were obviously led by the Holy Spirit to seize that opportunity to demonstrate God's power. We need to be praying that we will be led in the same way. God, will you use me? God, will you position me? God, will you cause me to see the opportunities that are often staring me in the face? God, give me the confidence to be bold and to speak and to bring your love. But one last thing, and I'm not taking long this morning, it's simply this, that they, they acted intentionally because Peter took the lame man by the hand. He didn't just say, in the name of Jesus, get better. He actually took him by the hand and lifted him, as it were, into God's healing power. 
You see, the good news about Jesus is both spiritual and practical. It's spiritual because it is a work of the Holy Spirit that saves us and causes new birth. But it's practical because we accept it by faith. By grace, you are saved. That's spiritual. But it says through faith. That's practical. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. There's those two dimensions. And Peter stretched out his hand. Peter demonstrated faith, intentionally reached out to this man to bring him, as it were, into the reality of God's healing presence. He not only spoke the name of Jesus, but he told the man to stand up and he reached him where he was. Isn't this what Jesus wants us to do by the power of the Holy Spirit? To reach into people's lives? To touch them? And to lift them? And by faith, see them set free and to come into his saving grace? Jesus was anointed with the same Holy Spirit that you and I are anointed with. Have you ever thought about that? The same Holy Spirit that came upon Jesus and empowered him to do all that he did whilst he walked on this earth, it is the same Holy Spirit that's available to us. My favorite verse in the Bible is Romans 8, 11. If the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he will give life to your mortal body. Think about that for a moment. The Holy Spirit that went into the tomb and raised the body of Jesus on the third day, that same Holy Spirit lives in you and lives in me. Wow. Is that incredible? And the Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus enabled him to do this, to bring good news to the poor, to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released, to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. That's what Isaiah says the anointing of the Holy Spirit is to do. That anointing was upon Jesus, and Jesus did all of those things and much more. Same Holy Spirit can enable us to fulfill those things as we live our lives for him. So how should we go about bringing serendipitous hope or transformation into people's lives? I want you to take a few minutes and have a conversation with the people around you. Come on. How can we be like Peter and John? How can we in our daily lives recognize the opportunities and step into them with God's love and healing grace. Just turn to the people around you. Have a little bit of a conversation. Maybe you'll come up with some creative ideas. But let's just take a couple of minutes. Just have a conversation together. How can we be like Peter and John were to that man on that particular day? Have a conversation together. Okay. Can I just suggest... In your groups, in your groups, you now pray together about what you've been talking about. Okay? Pray into it that God will enable you to live out what you've been discussing together. Just pray for each other for about a minute.
Let's draw our prayers to a close. And Lord Jesus, I know that we all want to be better expressions of your love to our world. We want to live in the dynamic of that power of your Holy Spirit that Peter and John demonstrated. And I pray that you'll help us. Will you help us to see opportunities? Will you help us to overcome fear? I pray that as a church, we will have a culture of invitation where we don't hesitate to welcome people amongst us and to invite them to join with us, knowing that it's you that we want them to meet. It's got nothing to do with ourselves. Lord, will you empower us and enable us to be the people that you've said we will and can be? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, being intentional means practically living out what we believe. And John puts it like this. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, Let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. Our world is desperate for truth. It is filled with lies. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. A couple of weeks ago, there was a discussion on Twitter about what was the church. And a lot of highbrow religious people were saying it was an organization, it was an institution, and all sorts of things that weren't really very helpful. Nicky Gumbel joined the conversation, and this is what he said. Church is not an organization that you join. It's a family where you belong, a home where you are loved, and a hospital where you are healed. That's what we want our church to be, isn't it? That really sums it up so beautifully. Peter and John introduced this man to the real church. And God wants us to do the same. May God help us.